podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The gift of life is a profound sense of well-being. We feel connected and vibrantly alive to the connection that we feel deep inside of ourselves and with everything. From this beautiful space, it is very difficult to be distracted by the mundane mind, because when we are in touch with this beautiful state, then it's almost as if we've clarified within the brain and the way that the brain functions that there is no need to fall back into the mundane. There is no need to be distracted by the mundane because we have said no that we do not need this experience because we have chosen to open up to the power of the heart within ourselves rather than be constantly manipulated by thoughts. Then, when we open to the power of our heart, the practice is very profound. The practice of meditation is about a discovery a discovery of who we are, the truth of who we are. Tony Samara In this episode, Valeria Tellis interviews Tony Samara about meditation and power of transmission. Tony Samara is a spiritual teacher and author of over a dozen books. He has been sharing deep evolutionary work and inspiring people to incorporate meditation into their daily lives for more than 25 years. Combining meditation, detoxing the body, a plant-based diet, and a simple lifestyle, he is best known for how his work touches more deeply than words. Here is the interview with Tony Samara. In your own words, who is Tony Samara? It's an interesting question because, you know, it depends on the circumstances. You know, if I'm being the husband to my wife or if I'm being the teacher, um, there are different aspects that Tony Samara sort of communicates. Um, but in the end, for me personally, you know, I, I feel that I am a channel or a bridge moving towards uh, what I call the light. Um, so I feel very much connected to the mystical tradition and being a teacher of mysticism and meditation, um, helping myself, of course, um, and everyone else around me to connect to what I believe to be a very beautiful aspect of life, which I call the light. When did you realize that you were that channel of light? Well, um, I'm told by my family that I was very unusual as a child. <laughs> We're all unusual. We all have interesting stories. But um, I spoke about different realms of reality and what people would call today um, channeling, perhaps, like wisdoms, in a way that really wasn't normal for a three-year-old. So this, I don't remember very much um, of what I did because I was just doing what came naturally. Um, but my parents were always, you know, quite amazed at some of the things that I said or did. You know, I realized from an early age that um, I was a little bit different. And it's not always a good thing. You know, when you're a teenager, you don't want to be different from everyone else. You want to be the same. Um, so, you know, it wasn't all good, um, but it defined my, my personality and helps me to recognize that, you know, we, we all have gifts that we can share, different gifts, which create a very beautiful world, you know, and this is, I believe, my gift. Wow. How do you understand and explain being the way you were as a child? 
Well, you know, I think that children are all gifted. You know, I think we're born from a space of purity. And when you're a child, you know, the, the, there is an innocence and there is a connection to various realms of reality that we lose touch with as we grow up and become social creatures, you know, <laughs> uh, get manipulated by, you know, specific belief systems in our culture and different ways of thinking, perhaps family constellations, perhaps just, you know, situations around us mold us into something that's very different from um, the way children are. I'm not saying children are perfect, but, you know, there, there is an innocence that is perfect within their essence that that I find very important. And I think this is this has been lost um, in, in the world today because the world today is very complex and we're very focused on survival, getting through all the complexities of what it means to be part of a modern society. And so, you know, the creative, the playful, the direct connection to what some people call God, I call the light, is lost. You know, and um, it's natural, you know, if, if you're worrying and stressed and, you know, busy with everyday type situations, it's, it's not that easy to be like a child and, you know, playful and creative and just live in the moment. <laughs> it's true. So true. Um, I wanted to say my intention for, you know, for this podcast is exactly what you're speaking about, you know, how, how to transmit this creative innocence that is deep within our souls uh, in a way that's practical, easy to put into practice in everyday type situations in this podcast. So I'm hoping to share some of these wisdoms, uh, if you don't mind. Um, I just, you know, create an intention. So, you know, the mystics um, believe that it's really important to have an intention. This means a, a structure um, that defines how you focus your energies. And I, I was looking through a little bit of what I wrote, and th there is a part in the Bible that speaks about um, this intention that I want to share with you. And it's um, from the King James Version of the Bible. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, when I read that, you know, it's interesting, but it's very conceptual. So I, I translated that from the original Aramaic, which is the ancient language similar to Hebrew. Um, and that creates for me, um, you know, the space to be more creative with, with that intention. And this is my translation. So it's a very creative type translation. It's not literal. Um, and it goes like this. Healthy and whole are those whose passions are touched by the deep abiding and connected purpose that we all have within us. They shall regard and love the power that moves them and shows itself in all things of the cosmos. See, language and communication um, depends on your creativity. So in the end, you, you can create an intention like this by going a little bit further than the literal verse that I was reading in the beginning and see how it applies to you in, in everyday type situations. So I just thought to share that with you um, because you're speaking about children and I think children are pure in heart. And, um, you know, this is my intention. How can we come back to this purity, but in a very spiritual, practical and mature way, rather than just, you know, being childish in, in what people think um, being childish means, you know, that just doing whatever comes to your mind and not really um, thinking about people around you and situations that are important. I love that, Tony. I absolutely love that intention. Let's call it that. My next question is more general. What is life to you? For me, life is about being of service to the divine, the light, in a very down-to-earth way. You know, so doing whatever your heart tells you, but from this very deep and meaningful place. You know, just being kind for me, being kind is really important, being honest, um, communicating to people, getting in touch with the real in a person that, and communicating from that real space and just finding together, you know, with whomever um, you're communicating to, you know, with me, it's my family or my friends or the people I'm working with, uh, finding a way 
to come back to this sense of sacredness and meaningfulness that is part of life. And for me, that that's how I live my life, you know, and how I've always lived my life since a very early age. Right. What is the opposite of life? <laughs> the opposite of life, if you're speaking in a literal sense, is death. Um, but um, I think many of us walk around and we haven't really come back to the knowledge of what it means to be alive. So, you know, many are walking around really closed and perhaps feeling as if, you know, that life has no purpose. So it's a type of death. And so that is the opposite of, you know, living a vibrant, healthy, connected and spiritual life. Um, so death for me is the lack that happens when we're very focused on materialism, very focused on egoic needs and wants, very focused on negativity and all the things that pulls humanity away from life. So for me, that's the death, because actually, I believe after death, there isn't really the pain and suffering that um, many of us have here when we're out of touch with our spiritual essence. Right. Many believe that death means transformation, renewal. I, I don't think we can really know until we go through the experience, <laughs> which, you know, that's the only real sort of answer I can give to that question. But, um, you know, I, I've gone through, uh, perhaps others have uh, gone through this too, um, what is known as a death rebirth experience, which is, you know, it's almost as if some part of you really experiences death, but you're not really physically dying. Um, I was very sick as a child, so um, I, I did go through many physical um, situations that brought me close to death. Um, so I think when you go through a death rebirth experience, you're more comfortable with the idea of death because it's very frightening for some people. But I don't know if death itself helps you to transform. I think what is really important is your attitude and your perception during that moment of death. And, you know, that helps you to be connected either to what guides you towards the light um, or you know, if, if your mind is confused and in pain or suffering um, because of conflicts, then I think transformation isn't very easy during the transition period between life and death. I, I think then it's difficult. But, you know, in the end, I, I don't think so much about these things because, I, you know, it's all about life now and what you do in this moment. And death is just a reminder that everything is impermanent and not to get attached to, you know, money or materialism because, you know, it doesn't take you anywhere. Um, it's helpful sometimes, but, you know, in, in the end, it's your attitude and your feelings and your connection to the world that is more important. You know, I practice non-attachment to the past and the future and bring most of my attention and my energy to this moment and the energy of this moment, so the flow, as some people call it. Yeah, it's interesting when you say everything's happening now, the focus, attention is on what's happening here now. I'm just wondering why so many people have had the experience of there. Those who talk a lot about communicating with spirit and angels and so that's there for them <laughs> that's also very difficult to speak about because i think everyone has their own unique connection to say people that they love not only people animals sometimes and that connection can happen in so many different ways i often dream of my grandparents, you know, and it's it seems to me like in the dream, there is some form of communication happening that's very difficult to sort of understand from a logical perspective, but there is some sort of communication that's still present in my life and I, I can sense it. And I think, you know, people who communicate to people have, uh, who have passed away or animals that have passed away um, are communicating to uh, the energy or the essence of person. And that is a wonderful and unique experience, you know, it depends on maybe the culture as to how you perceive that communication and your religious background, maybe, and um, your belief systems. But I think mostly we are connected 
to so many dimensions. I mean, Einstein spoke about this. And we live in a multidimensional reality. It's not as linear as our minds perceive things to be. So in this multidimensionality of experience, then we, we can connect to perhaps another dimension that that is the place where you go to when when you die. <laughs> I don't know, you know, in the end, um, I only know my my truth. And I do really, I really believe that um, death is just a transition. So, um, you know, but that's me, you know, that's my experience. You know, it doesn't really matter if I say that to someone, if they're afraid of death and feel that that's the end, you know, I also studied biology, you know, so many of my friends are biologists, and they believe, you know, after death, that's it, you know, your body dies, your brain dies, there's just memories left, you know, maybe they're right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that, um, the openness, just, um, right, right. What is the mind? And what are thoughts, Tony? Yeah, the mind is a very tricky aspect of the thinking brain. You know, if you look at it just from a biological perspective, then the mind is just your thoughts and um, your perceptions or creating a sense of reality. But for me, the mind, perhaps similar to the Buddhists and the mystics, um, you know, the mind is a very essential quality in our spiritual development. So the mind has, of course, its attachments to whatever, you know, the, the world wants, needs, desires, but also the mind has a perception that connects us to wisdom. And it is this wisdom that, you know, helps us to really sense what, what is going on in the world. So it's not so much about resolving problems, you know, if, if, you, if you're in debt, how am I going to pay my mortgage? You know, that's just the more superficial aspect of the mind. But there there is a depth that connects you to inner wisdom and outer wisdom that um, creates what I call the spiritual or the universal mind. And we can get in touch with that through dreams. Um, I often speak about that in some of the retreats, um, and, but also through parables and through intentions and creating a structure where uh, there, there is this communication to a deeper aspect of your mind that is just not normal in the world today, because you know, at school we're taught to think in a very, um, sim in a very simplistic way. You know, um, we're simplistic meaning. You know, we learn mathematics, we learn how to read and write, we learn languages, we learn the basics of thinking, but we don't go deeper. Um, you know, at school at least, um, and so it's not very normal um, to to understand that level of depth. But in, in certain cultures, that is more easy um, and depends also at which time in history you live. So I know like during the time in Persia, um, Rumi, for example, a wonderful poet, you know, he, he spoke in ways that really made sense to many people. So you didn't have to be a poet to understand what he spoke about because, you know, it was universal mind speaking wisdoms and people just understood from their heart, you know, that this was meaningful, you know, what was being communicated. So that the mind is also a very beautiful aspect of humanity, you know, it's yeah. sacred. Wow. I'm wondering what happened and why have we changed living this reality more connected to the brain and not the heart? Well, I think that we go through phases, you know, history has helped us to get closer to the more creative universal mind. And then when evolution moves in a certain way, then the thinking mind and the problem resolving mind tends to take over. Um, so throughout our recent history, you know, the industrial revolution and modern living, the way we live today, you know, in, in a city and uh, that requires a very functional brain. And, and so we have to utilize the brain, you know, to just adapt to the situations that we're living in now. Very, It's very different than 500 years ago, you know. So I think that's part of the reason. But also part of the reason is that we've forgotten, you know, um, we've fallen asleep. I often say in retreats, we've fallen asleep and we're, there is a veil that prevents us from opening up um, to the portal of change. And it's almost as if we know we have to walk the spiritual path. Um, and we know that our hearts deep, deep, deep within need to remember something. 
perhaps something from those ancient times um, when we were more connected, perhaps just the remembrance that falls into place when the heart is awakened, um, not through the brain, but through just the wisdom. I think we're doing this, but there are lessons that we all have to learn. And some of them aren't very nice. And, and then it takes a little bit of time to get through those lessons, either individually or as a culture, you know, and perhaps we're going through one of those lessons now. I, I do believe that this is going to be a not a difficult time, but a time that requires a lot of consciousness, a lot of spirituality and a lot of openness. Um, otherwise, there will be, you know, a little bit of suffering and learning that has to happen um, so that we, we can open up in this way, you know, and just be more receptive to, to not the negative mind, but the more positive in, in life, you know, what can help us to come back to our hearts and wisdom. Wow. I love the way you don't use the word becoming, because in a sense, we already are all there is, but you use the word remembering, right? Yes. That's great. What do you think is the world's greatest healing need? Um, I think we have to respect one another much more. And this you know, conflict, uh, and perhaps it's, you know, ancient also, it's, uh, you know, there, there have been wars for thousands of years. But this conflict that we're creating today, where we don't respect one another, you know, we, we're all very individualized, and we think about our needs, and sometimes our selfish and greedy needs, um, that is just not sustainable anymore. And I don't think people understand it. You know, when I listen to politicians and certain people speak about, you know, what's important, I just don't understand how they can't see what's going on, you know, and all this talk of, you know, people being, you know, the reason as to why whatever problems that exist in the world uh, exist, you know, the Americans blaming certain people and the other people in the world, the Iranians or the wherever, um, you know, North Koreans um, blaming the Americans, you know, this sort of communication is just such a waste of time. And I, I just don't understand why energy is put into it, because we could really put energy into a deeper communication, a connection to one another. And, and that creates a lot of movement. You know, um, I was reading the history of Spain. Um, my mum lives in Spain. Um, I was reading, you know, in Spain, in Andalusia, the southern part of Spain, there were all sorts of cultures. And at one point, it was really a flourishing um, place where education and culture and new ways of perceiving the world, uh, new theories, all came to light very quickly, you know, and it was a very special place until all of a sudden there was a war between the different cultures and religions, you know, the Jewish and the Muslims and the Christians. Um, and, you know, in the end, war and disrespect will only lead to suffering, but for everyone. And I just hope that um, we can see through things. I know I've spoken to some of my friends, biologists, who were speaking about the extinction of insects, which apparently is a very big thing in biology at the moment. You know, there's a bit of worry, um, you know, the diversity um, that's happening. We know about the bees, but also many other insects. And they're worried that, you know, we, we're not doing enough. And I think that would be, you know, one of the reasons why I continue teaching and continue speaking like yourself, you know, to, to the world to try to engage people in a different way of thinking, not conflict and disrespect, but love and connection. And sometimes it's difficult because people can be very, very bad and very, very silly in the ways, in, in their ways, you know, but in the end, you have to forgive and accept. And that is the way forward, you know, and um, rather than blame and disrespect others, you know, find a, a way to connect to love, you know, and, and mm. for me, that's important. <laughs> Very important. Yes, yes, and yes. What is love to you? It depends. Again, you know, it depends who I'm connecting to. <laughs> But, um, you know, because perhaps when speaking to someone is a respect and understanding that this person that's a, a wonderful being, you know, full of potential and full of wisdom, And sometimes love could be just the stillness um, that is important 
when you listen to a person, but really listen to a person and you're present to a person. So love could be expressed as presence. Uh, love can be a hug. Uh, love can be just a connection, uh, just a laugh together or, you know, sitting and enjoying a movie together, having a beautiful meal and enjoying the nurture that happens when you share a meal together. You know, it, it, love is so much, you know, it's difficult to define into one little thing and say love is this. But perhaps, you know, if you need to define it, um, love would be connection, you know, the connection that we have within ourselves and also the connection we have with others and other situations around us. Yes. So let's talk about meditation and the power of transmission. What is to meditate? Well, meditation is a state of consciousness. A lot of people think meditation is about closing one's eyes, and, you know, closing your eyes and then sitting there and doing nothing. <laughs> actually, <laughs> right. meditation is very, very difficult to learn because it's about emptying your mind, um, emptying your mind of the stress and the anxiety that happens when you're attached to situations around you. Uh, so it's a letting go process. And the letting go process is almost, you, you could see it as the bridge that helps you to um, connect to a deeper state of consciousness that's similar to sleep, but it's very different, you know, because you're awake, you're actually able to connect to what's going on um, in a very conscious way. So it's a state of consciousness. And um, for me, um, meditation can be divided into two mindful type meditation. So it's a certain type of awareness and deep meditation. So I teach both, but my focus is deep meditation. Right. You speak of transmission in meditation. So I'm wondering what it means. Well, that's what I did to start with. I spoke about um, the beautiful verse that um, helps us to connect to the purity of our hearts, you know, to find a purpose in life. So transmission is what mystics have done throughout the ages through words and sometimes beyond words. So through words, through parables and poetry and just speaking in, in such a way that doesn't just engage the mind, but also engages the heart to open up and to receive. So transmission is this receptivity. And, you know, if the person speaking isn't receptive, uh, meaning that, you know, not receptive to love and a connection, then, you know, it's just words. But transmission is when I truly put myself in, in a situation where I'm totally open, totally vulnerable to everything and speak from deep within my heart and transmit this energy to a person. I suppose it's like, uh, you know, if a parent hugs and smiles uh, a child, uh, there is just this vulnerability and giving yourself totally to that moment and totally to that situation. That is transmission. You know, it's an energetic connection that goes also beyond words. So I, I do this also as a distant healing type thing through energy. Yeah, yeah. You write about being close to the truth or in alignment to the truth or the presence of one's inner truth. What is the truth? You know, the truth to me is the light, the light that shines within your heart. That is your purpose, what guides you in your deepest dreams to come back to remembering who you truly are. That's your truth. And it's impossible to say, you know, what truth means to anyone because it's a personal experience. It's a personal experience that you have with God or the divine or the sacred or the light within yourself. And that luminosity and that sacredness is expressed in a feeling or a sense that touches the very core of your being. So that for me is truth. And being in alignment to the truth means that you live your life in that way. So it's not enough to just have that feeling and that connection, because whatever you do outside, meaning the way that you live your life, the way that you communicate to people, the way that you 
two things has to match that inner realization, has to be in alignment to that inner realization. And, you know, this means that very often we we focus on different things. When, when we're in alignment with our truth, we focus on things that are meaningful and important. So we don't waste time. And this is what I feel that many people do when they're lost, when the alignment to inner truth isn't really there. Um, people spend time drinking too much, taking drugs, um, perhaps wasting money and wasting time entertaining themselves. Now, that's not a judgment. If they could see, you know, what do I choose to do with this time? What helps me to really feel blissful and happy uh, when I make that conscious choice, then perhaps the choices would be different. You know, and people often know this, you know, if their parents, they regret later on, when the children grow up, um, regret that they didn't spend enough time with their children, quality time with their children, because everything was so busy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, busy doing this, busy doing whatever. So if you're in alignment with your truth, you, you see things before it's too late. You don't get to the age of, say, 70, 80, 90 or whatever, and think, oh, I wasted so much of my life because you're in touch with your truth and that's what's guiding you rather than the superficial that sometimes manipulates us into being addicted to too much drink, too much food, too much money, too much this, too much that. Wow. I'm wondering if we all understand, connect and experience the truth differently. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, I traveled because my parents were diplomats. I traveled um, around and lived in different places. And it's interesting, you know, every culture sees things a little bit differently. You know, I think that's a gift, really, because it helps us to open up. I, I remember I, I um, studied in Australia for a few years. And I remember, you know, in Australia, they speak English, but I remember saying a few things and then understanding that even though I was using the same words in English, that in Australia it meant something totally different. And then also I had to learn Spanish when I was in South America. And I remember just thinking, gosh, it's not so easy to learn a language because you really have to understand a culture to learn the language. And, you know, our perception of reality and truth is filtered through the way that we communicate. And, um, you know, we are all very different, but it's so wonderful. I, I find it so exciting to learn things from other people, whether they be Japanese or Chinese or um, South American or, uh, I don't know, European or, or African. There are so many gifts that you can realize when you are present to the learning that happens when, you know, people communicate from an open space. Right. And that might just be the um, the gift and the play of creativity, all these different expressions of the same thing. <laughs> Wouldn't it be boring if we're all the same, like lived in a very rigid, regimented sort of way, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's a wonderful dance, isn't it? What would this relative reality be like if everyone was living in this space of truth? I think the world would be a much easier place to sort of exist in. And, you know, if everyone listens to the depth of their hearts, um, then we would definitely shift to a higher frequency, which in a practical sense, what it means, um, we wouldn't be caught in this sort of survival mode that our culture and humanity has evolved within. There is this situation that um, is called the negative bias, which means that the brain, you know, focuses on problems, but that's part of our evolution. And it's an important part of our evolution because the frequency that we live in is basically about survival and has been about survival. It's only now do we have the possibility to a certain degree to perhaps change that. Um, yeah, if we were able to consciously choose to move beyond the suffering and to be in alignment to the abundance that is possible, I think uh, on a biological level, our genes would express themselves differently. We wouldn't really need to survive anymore. We, we, we'd be at another level. We would be um, enjoying 
they experience much more and the worry and the stress and the negative bias would be less actual because um, we would move beyond survival and be in a state of abundance and receptivity. Uh, and I think that's what the shift is about, but it takes time. Yeah, and that leads to my next question about trust. You wrote in The Power of Transmission, the trust that is required to be present to the truth is the trust that you are not your mind, you're not your feelings, and you're not your body. What does it take for a person to arrive at this state of trust? But before that even, what does it take to someone to even desire to get to this state? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Because without that motivation um, of wanting to awaken, then we can we, we can be asleep for a very long time. And for some people that awakening happens through suffering. In shamanism, for example, this is known as the wounded healer, um, because you have to work through your pain and work through the suffering, you open up to the awakening of compassion and awakening of just being a healer. But, you know, we're not really uh, needing to function on, on that level. Um, most of us, we don't need to choose suffering to be free. But I'm, I'm just saying this in case, you know, there, there is anyone suffering um, to know that, you know, there is a positive possible outcome from that suffering. You know, I was, I was um, listening to these Jewish twins who lived through the Holocaust and terrible, terrible suffering. I mean, unbelievable um, when you think about it. But I listened to her communicate and she had such wisdom and such compassion and such acceptance of, of horrific type situations and forgave all the people who caused her family and herself and her twin sister such pain. You know, I think that's possible. But for most of us, there are some steps, some practical steps. You know, most of us don't have to suffer to that degree. But if we do, I think we're guided by the light. We're guided by the angels. We're guided by the wisdom within. So, you know, never to despair, to always really trust. I can share with you four steps that are important to connect to and to awaken within oneself. And the first is to really listen to one's heart. That, you know, if you don't listen to your heart, if you listen to your mind, it's very difficult to trust your mind because your mind is just too much of a monkey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll so jump, true. Yeah, we'll jump all over the place and really never help you uh, in the same way as your heart. Your heart, I'm not talking about the emotional heart, I'm talking about, you know, the deep heart. And to listen to that means to go beyond the thinking mind and beyond the emotional aspect of yourself to find stillness. So trust comes from that stillness that happens when you listen to your heart, when you just take a moment and think, okay, what is important? You can do this either through meditation, you can do this through praying, you can do this through going for a walk in nature. In Japan, they have this wonderful thing called forest baths, you know, where they walk in nature just to integrate and listen and to come back to heart rather than to be too attached to the mind. So that's a very important aspect uh, of what I call the, the transformation. The other is spiritual work that awakens the pineal gland. Now, pineal gland, I call the master gland in our bodies that helps us to connect to the spiritual realm. Because we could be very in touch with lots of things, but um, you know, if the pineal gland is not functioning in a certain way, um, then everything becomes too intellectual. So it's almost like the difference between someone who studies mysticism and someone who practices mysticism. You know, the pineal gland, the activation of the pineal gland will help to open up what some people call the third eye, um, uh, which is basically intuition. Um, you become sensitive to reality um, and you begin to trust other things, you know, your dreams, you begin to trust the the signs that um, appear out of nowhere, the people that you meet that guide you to move in a certain direction that then helps you in an incredible way that you, you couldn't have ever thought of before, you know, so this awakening of intuition, this awakening of the pineal gland, uh, I believe to be, you know, super important. And the third is awareness, you know, just 
be aware of what's going on. You know, be aware of people, be aware of situations, what you're doing, what you put yourself through, um, how you think about yourself, how you think about other people. You know, awareness is what, what some people call mindfulness is really the ability to choose and to have that freedom of choice so that you can um, be empowered by awareness rather than fall into just reactions and fall into just repeating belief systems because they're there and you've embodied them. You know, so awareness is a type of freedom that most of us don't really explore enough. But if we have the courage to trust that freedom, then, you know, we will do things very differently, for sure. Um, that's also a rebirth of our consciousness. So that's three things. And then the last thing is creativity. And I think this is super important, you know, play, be creative, you know, spend time listening to music, walk in nature, um, just be creative in the way that you do things. Sometimes some of the teachings in, in retreats, you know, are very practical, like instead of walking, um, if you normally walk, say, with your right foot leading your walk, then use your left foot or perhaps try writing with your left hand or try brushing your teeth with your left hand, like be creative in the way that you connect to reality so that you can begin to be sensitive enough to get in touch with the spiritual realms, which that's where trust really happens. Because as you said, you know, we're more than our mind, we're more than our thoughts, we're more than our feelings, we're something, but we don't remember. And that comes from trust. Wow, Tony, that's wonderful. I have three questions for you. One is, um, how do we overcome this fear of not being the mind, not being the feelings and not being the body? Yeah, and it's easier said than done. You know, it's very difficult, you know, when your whole identity depends on, you know, certain thoughts and certain feelings and certain ways of connecting to the world to just let it go. It's a process, you know, it's, it doesn't happen overnight. And this is why sometimes reading books is a little bit of a distraction because you read the book and then you want to get there before doing the work. And I often remind people that, you know, it's a step-by-step -step process. You have to actually take the steps. You can't jump sometimes by the grace of um, God or the grace of the light, you are carried, you know, so the steps are easier. Um, but um, in the end, you know, those steps for most people are important. And um, I think it's a slow process of detachment. So if you, for example, identify with fear, many, many people do, you know, oh, I'm too afraid to do this because otherwise, and then they think of all the problems, which is, you know, the negative bias. If that is really a core part of yourself, you can't just let it go. It's dangerous to just let it go. Actually, um, you have to you have to work through it, and first you have to find what you can trust that goes beyond um, the letting go of fear. And you have to trust something. So, you know, for me, trusting means trusting your essence, trusting your light, and, and so, you know, when you begin to trust the light, that carries you. That helps you to take the next step, and then the process begins to move by itself because there is an excitement and there is a flow which is more interesting than fear for the mind. You know, the mind is very attached to fear. So if, if you don't do it in this way, you know, the mind will constantly say, oh, but what if, you know, but if you begin to trust the light within yourself and consciousness, then you see that there, there are other possibilities. So, you know, this is what I call giving yourself to the spiritual realm, giving yourself to the spiritual light, where your focus is just the work, you know, the work of transformation rather than what is holding you back. And so then you can slowly let go of fear. In, in practical ways, this means, you know, you just experiment with changing your life in certain ways, you know. So if, for example, you're doing something that you hate doing, if you work and, and you hate your work, it's easy to say, just leave it, you know, just do something else. But, you know, if everything depends on your work and your house and your children depend on you and your family and whomever, it's easier said than done. You know, <laughs> it's a process, you know, you have to choose, okay, do I truly believe that I'm worth something? And how do I measure that worth in a material sense? And then you can begin to, you know, confront 
those fearful old belief systems that are holding you back. And that's the step by step process that, you know, happens during retreats or during some of the online courses that I do. You know, it's a, it's a process that's guide, you know, you get guidance as to how to do this, because it's very, very difficult for everyone. You know, it's fear is a major aspect of our being, you know, and we evolved to fear whatever, you know, the saber toothed tiger, you know, out there, we are afraid of the saber toothed tiger. Otherwise, you know, we would just walk into the forest and think we're okay, but you know, we wouldn't be okay. <laughs> so fear has a biological reason. And it's important. But when it comes to our attitude towards ourselves and the world, fear can really be very damaging. So it's a process, step by step process. And it is, yeah. I really support the idea of compassion and kindness, treating ourselves with kindness, not trying to accomplish something fast that would be unkind. And I also love the way you explained that about our dependencies, that there's this um, almost like a cycle, fear, attachment, attachment to structures. It could be mental, emotional, physical, and then suffering, and then the cycle just continues. And the opposite of that, let's say, which I don't think is the opposite. Uh, it might be just the balance uh, or returning, going back to what is. It's trust, trust in the heart, right? I love that. So you mentioned also intuition. I'm wondering how do we know when we are listening to our intuition and when we are listening to our beliefs? Yeah, that's a good question. Because many people you know, confuse desire and want with intuition. My intuition is saying that I should do this or I should get this. Uh, I should buy myself this holiday or whatever. <laughs> But actually, intuition isn't a want and isn't a need. Intuition for me is the communication that happens in the higher realms of consciousness. And that that communication then is filtered down as a symbol or as a sensation or as a f tingling sometimes for me, uh, you know, my body tingles when I know uh, something is right, you know, there is an excitement that I can't really understand in that moment, you know, but I know something, my intuition is working, you know, for different people, it's different, but it's the higher realms of consciousness, you know, connecting to the mundane world in a way that's understandable. So very often, most of our intuition will happen in dreams. You know, when we're asleep, when we're dreaming in REM sleep, you know, our brains are so open to the, the higher realms of consciousness that we will dream. And it's not that, you know, everything in the dream is literal, but it's a symbol or an aspect of yourself that's saying something that is inviting you to come back to your intuition. And when you honor that, when you listen to it, when you write it down, when you do it, you know, then then intuition becomes more, more present in what happens in your life, you know. And so, yeah, intuition is difficult because, you know, people very often confuse the subtle with intuition, but intuition can be very black and white, can be very, very real. You know, I remember my intuition saying, I have to travel back. I, I need to, I was living in New Zealand at the time, and I need to go back to Europe you know, and live in Europe, and um, in the UK and outside of the UK. And so many things happened because I listened to, to, to the intuition. And, you know, it, it wasn't subtle. It was, I, I just, I couldn't relax. I really knew I had to travel. And, and that's intuition, you know, it's, it's something there that keeps coming up and saying, you need to do this, you can't just ignore. And if you ignore, you know, it will come up and show itself in different ways. <laughs> right. Dream, right? Someone you or something will happen to tell you that no, you've got to follow your dream, you've got to follow your intuition, you've got to follow your heart, you know, and I think that's how the cosmos speaks to humanity, basically. Mm. Yeah, I like how the way you use the words need, have connected to intuition, and then should connected to beliefs. And you also mentioned choice, that we have the choice to listen to the heart or to be more in alignment with the truth. And I'm also wondering, how do we know when we are choosing and not trying to control the experience? Yeah, you know, if we try to find a better way or like a nicer 
outcome to a situation. Very often, you know, that's the ego mind falling into a picture that may be comfortable, may be understandable because of past experience, but it's not always, you know, what really needs to happen. <laughs> so freedom of choice is about being receptive, you know, receptive enough to just be present to what is being communicated. And very often you can create a structure so that the communication makes more sense. And um, because, you know, when it comes to subtlety, it's very difficult to, to, to know, is this really being communicated or uh, is it my imagination? Is it my intuition? Is it my want? Is it my need? And, and I often say, if you're right-handed, place your hand upon your heart and just ask your heart to give you a sign but not immediately, usually just a sign as to this is the right way forward. So, you know, say leaving a job, you know, instead of thinking, is it good for me? Is it bad for me? What am I going to do if I leave my job? Just listen to your heart. You know, your heart is closer to the intuitive realm than your brain. So, you know, the freedom of choice is easier within the heartfelt space that intuition communicates through, then trying to receive that intuition through, you know, the conceptual thinking that is the usual way that we try to understand intuition. And meditation helps the heart to open up in this way. And this is why meditation for me is so important, because, you know, when you meditate and when you practice meditation, then you're channeling intuition, which is your higher self speaking to you, which is an incredible thing. You know, why would you not do that? You know, if you want to listen to your intuition and listen to your higher self communicate wisdoms to you, that, that's something that would be useful to put into practice. Yeah, very useful. And I have two more questions about trust. One is, so it's trust connected to acceptance and also if trusting the truth, it's a practice. Trust is very much about accepting and forgiving. Those are two things um, that I believe to be very important. I was speaking about the Jewish twins um, and that's what she realized after so many years of suffering that it's better to put the energy into forgiveness and acceptance. And, you know, that's easier said than done, you know, when you go through what they went through and when people go through the suffering that happens here in the world, you know, it's very difficult to open up um, to trust and to forgiving and accepting people and situations and yourself. Um, but that is truly, truly important. I think also that gratitude is an aspect that um, is very helpful. You know, very often it's easier um, to, to look at the world and think about all the problems that you're facing and try to resolve all those problems. But just spending a few moments in gratitude and just thanking yourself and thanking the depth of your being for a beautiful experience that you really enjoyed. And it can be a very simple experience um, that helps you to then trust that there is a balance in the world. And if we focus too much on the negative, then that balance is lost. And um, it's very difficult to trust and it's very difficult to, to live a spiritual life, you know, <laughs> because if you're sensitive, then you're sensitive also to all that's happening around you. And if you're sensitive and you listen to the news or you see things that create a lack of positive hope, um, then, you know, it's, it's very difficult. And this is why I say gratitude is really an important practice to incorporate within meditation as part of the trust too. Yeah, it makes so much sense to me. Um, coming to my final questions, I love the way you describe awakening. You say it is a wordless experience of being. Would you also say that awakening is the non-attached human experience? Yeah, I mean, for me, awakening is the remembrance of love, the remembrance of a pure heart, the remembrance that you're much more than just your mundane thoughts and your mundane feelings. So awakening to love or awakening to consciousness is a form of detachment. On some level, it's a form of detachment that helps you to look more deeply into what it means to be a human being, you know. It is a 
form of detachment. I know the Buddhists speak a lot about, you know, um, detachment. And I think that's because of meditation. You know, when you sit in meditation, you realize everything contains energy and you choose, you know, do you want to stay attached to certain energies or, you know, do you let them go? And in your mind, everything is equal, you know, so you can focus on positive or negative, but, you know, in life, sometimes the practical is not as easy. But, you know, so detachment in life sometimes is difficult. If you go to work and someone is bullying you or teasing you, it's not that easy to to be detached. But in your mind, you can detach from that picture. And it's easy in meditation to just let it go. And too many people, you know, are attached to the pain that they tightly hold on to. And in everyday sort of situations, they speak to their friends, oh, my boss was really such a bully. And then, you know, it's not enough to communicate, you know, the pain. One person that, you know, it goes on, on and on. And, you know, it becomes a negative that's attached to your brain. And that's it's a waste of time, really. Uh, in the end, it's not helping you at all. Right. Um, one of the things that I'm fascinated, it's with this idea of non-attachment to mind, feelings, body, but that's connected also to the experience of attachment, such as uh, we, you mentioned before, enjoyment. Um, in order to, to enjoy something, we've got to be attached to something. And then grief, purpose, longing, all this. Isn't it everything connected to divine, to that, that we can really put into words? I understand what you're saying. And perhaps, you know, what you said previously, you know, it's all about balance, the, the state of equilibrium and resilience that happens when you accept and forgive and just, you're just open to the experience. That means you are in the flow and enjoying whatever is happening. You know, of course, you can't enjoy pain, but you enjoy life. You know, you're, you're alive, you're awakened to something much more than what you're sensing, because you know, really, in the end, I don't. I've never watched the movie The Matrix, but you know, it's a bit like that. I would say, from what people have told me, life is such an illusion, and if we're attached to just parts of our experience, then there isn't equilibrium in in the way that we're flowing through life, and we, we can get very stuck for a very long time, and that limits our spiritual progress and our spiritual awakening. Um, but when we come to balance, when we come back to a state of balance, then yes, you are attached to joy, you are attached to the people that you love. But that's good. You know, you don't want to be cold and detached from everything. You want to be like the divine, you know, part of everything. Right, because we are life. Yes. And not separate from life. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's interesting the way you, you're saying, I never heard it that way before. Um, in a way, attachment, then it's just this... Uh, identification with parts of life, just holding on to parts of life. So my final, final questions. Um, if you knew you would lose the body soon, would you change anything? No, I don't think so. Um, I'm living my life just with the understanding that tomorrow is not guaranteed. So uh, I live for today, you know, I do everything. Really, this is, has been my practice since the age of 17, 18. You know, some people say it's irresponsible because, you know, you have to plan for your future and you have to think about whatever. But you can do both, you know. But really, the focus in my life is just now, you know, what's happening now with people around me, with situations around me, and what can I do with my time and my energy? So I don't think I would change anything. I mean, of course, if possible, I'd like to change some things in the past. But, you know, as things are now, no. Not at all. Oh, that's wonderful. Embracing life as it goes, moment by moment. I know you said tomorrow and today, but the way I understand is just the next second, really. Yeah, that's a gift. Yeah, I would like to actually offer a gift to, uh, I know we're slowly coming towards the end. <laughs> uh, time flies. But um, I wanted to offer, um, you know, a, a free booklet to everyone. Um, and you spoke about it, called The Power of Transmission. I don't know if maybe your listeners may be interested in reading this book. If they are, you know, they can just write to me. I, I can be found on the website tonysamara.com. If you go to tonysamara.com slash the power of transmission, 
there, there is a free link to download the booklet. Just to go deeper into what you were saying, you know, I've written a few interesting things and, and it's an easy way to put the power of transmission into practice. Yeah, and that's a, that's a wonderful ebook. Yes. Well, I'll have the link on your profile and that will be mentioned as well. So my last, last question, I guess you already uh, answered my last question. This is second to last <laughs> was about where can we find more information on that, my script. Uh, so what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Well, I know that I love working with people. I love sharing this knowledge with people. And I've been doing this for decades and it's just such a joy. Um, I know that... I love nature, uh, I love the mountains, the sea, and I know that the most important aspect of life is the spiritual path. And I'm so happy to have found it early in my life and that I continue to be inspired by others who practice spirituality and also by um, the knowledge that I've received throughout these years. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your presence, Tony. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Tony Samara, please visit his website, TonySamara.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bigrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.